catchy tune, catchy tune. Welcome. Welcome to E3. I'm Pastor Scott. So glad you've chosen to worship with us this morning. And we're going to be getting into Ephesians. Before we do so, two quick overseas updates and announcements. First is an awesome picture we got from Pastor Mike last night that they are in Guatemala and they are very, very, very tired after a long day of travel, but want to say a prayer of blessing over them and just encouragement as today is the kind of the chill, get used to Guatemala and land of eternal spring. And then tomorrow they're going to be digging wells, building blocks, doing all the things that they do. If you've been on that trip, you know, well, it's hard work starting tomorrow. So would you join in prayer with me as we pray for this team? Heavenly Father, we know that we are separated from these brothers and sisters in Christ by several thousands of miles, but God, I pray that we would be united by one spirit here this morning. That you would encourage them, direct them, guide them, give them whatever they would need today to know that they are being prayed for by us. And that this spiritual connection would not just be at this moment, but to encourage throughout the next several days as they work in Panahashel, as they work with a family who is in need, as they change and transform their own views of this world and what is important by the work that they do. We pray this in Jesus' name, who unites us together and say together, amen. Secondly, we are so excited that in the month of June, Pastor Mike said that he would be getting a tattoo if we raised enough money for the, um, you, um, he's, he said it last week. You can go back to the, the, the service. He said it on recording. It's a joke, but it's serious. He wants to bless a partnership we're making with Amon. Amon, we just raise your hand real quick. He's sitting in the back. I know he hates that, but he is, God is connected with an amazing partnership in Kenya. And that's the month of June E3. We'll be blessing with the donations. If you're so led, drop an extra donation in the pyramid as you leave. And with Pastor Mike getting a tattoo, I want to hear from y'all. What were some of the great things you came up with your connection question? Just shout them out. What did you get a tattoo of if you were forced to get a tattoo? Anything. That's not very specific. That's not very specific as well. The cast of The Muppet Show. What a great tattoo. That'd be amazing. Line of poetry. Ooh, I love that. House? Clouds. Like in the air? Oh, clouds are beautiful. Okay, good, good, good. It's a little, little more ethereal than the Muppet Show, but good, 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 good. Any others? The day we met? I love that. I don't know who said that from voice from the, from the distance, but this is, these are awesome ideas. Pastor Mike, if, he ra- if we raise enough money, he's getting a tattoo of my face on his body is what I'm going to say. <laughs> so that way I'll always be near him because I know that's what he wants so much more than anything else. But in all seriousness, friends, let's play this morning the tattoo game. Are you ready? Are you ready? Here we go. Question for you, just raise your hand if you have this. Do you have a tattoo? Raise your hand. Sinners. <laughs> Everyone else, look and judge. Look and judge real quick. Okay, so seriously, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. How many of you have a tattoo that you don't regret? Wow. The commitment here, friends. Look around for a minute. There are some that have razor, slowly lowered their hands. Thank God for lasers. Thank God for lasers. Awesome. Okay, put your hands down. That is the tattoo game. There's, a, there's tattoos that we can, can regret though, right? I had a boss from an old insurance agency several years ago when I was working in insurance. And her husband, who was a veteran, came in and it was a 
chemically inspired tattoo, let's just say that, by, by, by substances that may make you do things that you'd not normally otherwise do. And they came in and he got veteran with a United States flag on his arm, which is awesome, right? Like he's a veteran, that's, that's, he can do that. And as they came home and went to bed and woke up the next day, he looked in the mirror and he, <laughs> it's so funny. His wife came in and she screamed. It was spelled V-E-T-R-A-N. Permanent. No ways to change that one, friends, unless you just remove it and start over with a clean slate, which is not very fun or easy or inexpensive. For the next two or three staff meetings, we tried to figure out ways to change veteran by using different fonts and different letters. We had a couple great ideas. I don't remember them. But friends, tattoos are something that you shouldn't just jump in willy-nilly to. So this sermon, as we go through, we're going to talk about the commitment we're supposed to be making of the head and the heart. And this idea of having a tattoo kind of weave through the entire chapter. See, friends, we're coming into the second half of chapter one of Ephesians. It's going to be our summer-long look into this book written by Paul to this church in Ephesus, but for all the churches in Paul's time around that church. They were all in similar place. Here, Jesus had just been resurrected. They're trying to figure out what it meant to be a Christian. Pastor Mike last week did an amazing job setting the stage for what this Ephesus church was going through. And I encourage you to go back through and re-listen to that. The entire chapter really focuses on a writing style that is in Paul's lifetime. It comes from Greek inspiration, where first the author would write and say, hey, I have a common connection with you through this. And that's what Pastor Mike did last week. That was a common connection. Paul and the Ephesus church both Look towards Jesus as that connection. And then the writer would jump into a thankfulness section. And these sections can be as long as you want. And then finally, an intercession section, writing in a, a, some sort of thing. I wish this for you. I hope you're going to do well. These are the things I want for you. Didn't matter if you're Christian or not. And so from 13 to 14, we see this common connection. And then now Paul will go into being thankful. So we jump in chapter 15 to this thankfulness section. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Everyone say, ah. That's the thankfulness section. He, he is truly thankful for these people. These are personal relationships. This is one of the churches that he stuck with the most out of all the other New Testament churches in being physically present. And he is thankful for these people, but he doesn't stay there very long. In terms of the writing style, it's big paragraph one, tiny little paragraph two, and huge into the intercession for this church. He doesn't, think, he doesn't sit on thankfulness very long, but goes right into intercession. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Huge shift in terms of writing style. And here in 17, we get the first of the two themes that Paul will use for these several verses. And that's the idea of being knowledgeful, of being full of the knowledge of who God is. And then Paul asks this in these verses by using the Trinity and asking for the power to move in this group of people, these Ephesians. He wants to make it more personable. Part of what Paul wants for the Ephesian church and for you sitting here today is to know God better. We do that through a lot of different means. Obviously, to know God better, you'd use something called the Bible, right? You may try something called prayer, you may be out in creation and just in awe of what God has created in this world. Maybe dialoguing with others. It may be worship, which we just did corporately. Maybe serving, like our team in Guatemala is. What are some other ways in which we can know God better beyond the ones I've just outlaid? 
Fasting, absolutely. Being with community, absolutely. Somebody else said something over here. Meditating, love it. Left side, you, you, got, you guys nailed it. Right side, <laughs> But then there's this phrase that Paul uses and he asks the spirit, the spirit to give knowledge. There's an old philosopher in the 1700s named Goldsmith equipped, as I take my shoes from the shoemaker, my coat from the tailor, so I take my religion from the priest. And many of us grew up are currently comfortable in that zone of thinking, being spiritually fed, spiritually fed. But just as I would get zero joy of coming and feeding you food, like as a child would be fed, Lindsay, here's your bib, here's, here's a little spoon. Yeah, don't know. I take zero joy out of feeding any of you, no offense. The idea of having a priest give you your knowledge of who God is only is doing just that. There must be ways in which you feed yourselves, which is a much more beautiful experience than being fed by someone else. Amen? This idea of Paul saying the spirit must be the motivator of that food coming into you comes through a lot of the things I just said and several other people over here only said. (laughs) But it comes through you being connected, connected in your head with the Spirit of God. Paul implores the Ephesians and you to feed yourselves with spiritual knowledge. Don't just look for one person or a group of people. You yourself go and feed yourselves from the trough of the Holy Spirit. Paul continues into what this feels, looks, and sounds like in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Whew. Take a second, read that. Just read it to yourselves. For Paul... Friends, this is not just a head game. Not just knowledge to learn and puff up and maneuver and seem like I'm some sort of great champion of Jeopardy from long ago. No, Paul writes this. He says, the eyes of the heart is a seat of thought and moral judgment. That's what it literally means. And then the way of feeling secondarily. Deep interior enlightenment provided by the Holy Spirit leads the believer to realize that all God made is available to them. So the even inheritance, secondly in the verse, is the wealth of God, God's self. Think about God's wealth for a moment. That you have an inheritance of that type of God's wealth available to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. That should just flat out make us all just get to our knees in awe. That God's inheritance is available to me because of Jesus Christ and because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Mike talked about that last week in verses 11 and 14, that God has a rich abundance provided to us and set out just for me, but for all of us too at the same time, because of what Christ has done. The old Israel was promised an inheritance on earth, a promised land. The new Israel, us, we're given an inheritance, friends, of heaven. And lastly, the power of God. It's incomparably great. Not what I said earlier, incomparably great. I can make fun of myself when I preach. You can't do it to me though, okay? Incomparably great. Only Paul among the New Testament writers employs this term called hyperbolon. And it's a suggestion that the concept of power is so great, it's thrown in from one sphere of existence to another. 
Now, it's really difficult for probably Paul's readers to understand this, but I thank Marvel movies for this idea. That this whole idea of the, the multiverse and then and, and Hulk being you know, green and then he's normal and then he's green and then he's normal is one existence to a complete other. And it's hard for me because I'm used to this existence. I'm used to my rhythms, my coffee in the morning, my things I do in my normal routine. But if I could go from one existence to being something else entirely, that's what Paul's asking. I think this is how great the power of God is. And to take this idea is most on display, friends, and the idea of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is this great power, and he goes on. Second half of verse 19, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Beautiful, beautiful writing here from Paul. I love the supreme authority that the name of Jesus carries here. It's a rare time you can say without any hesitation of something is so true and so powerful and so pure that all other things must orient around it. Only the faith of a child can question it as they look for something that's undisputable. And here I'll bring one of my greatest theologians that I've learned from is Lillian the Theologian. Lily and my daughter, who's five years old. She is a great theologian, because I'll say, Lily, you always have to stop at red lights. And immediately, the first moment she knows this is an ambulance go through a red light, guess what that does to her? Well, they can go through a red light, can't we? Why, 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 why? And then my head explodes. <laughs> she is such a why kid, because you have to figure out what the absolutes are in this life. And as life goes, friends, and we know this, we're not five anymore. Some of us don't know it, but we love you still. We know this, that there are very few true absolutes in this life. There's always a little bit of gray. And yet we take camps so, oh, I know that I'm right because I believe blank until something comes along and breaks that. And then I fear that maybe I might actually be wrong. So I either more entrench myself in this position that's not tenable and then it becomes a greater problem versus coming into the gray and figuring out maybe I have to learn something new in this life. That's what a five-year-old does. And they love the inquisitation of trying out new things and trying out new boundaries and seeing what happens when you try to put a stapler into solid brick. <laughs> the brick's fine, the stapler's broken. This idea of this curiosity is one that we do not in just engage in enough in understanding who Jesus truly is. Because friends, it's the one solid rock on which we can stand. The name of Jesus Christ. That when we follow him and put our faith fully in him, all the things of this life that ebb and flow and seem unsteady can become steady because of our orientation only on him. God not only raised his son from the grave, but exalted him to the seat of power. And this is the true throwing, the power to throw from one sphere of existence to another. That Jesus, 
proclaims true power and true stability in a world where we need so much of it. What is interesting is that the writing style of Paul here, which is only really found in Galatians as a contemporary, Paul does not use simple theology or simple writing style. There's no comparison, no repetition, or anything that lets the listener latch on to as some sort of point, because Paul just jumps from one thought to another all over the board, but it's all centered around Christ. And he comes right between the eyes, as only he can, to cognitively understand who Jesus is equally, but fully involve the heart as well. To fully involve the heart as well. You need to see the grave and the abandonment of earthly power and realize that the heavenly power is fully on display in the resurrection. And it just breaks your brain, but it moves your heart. And I don't know if you're like me or not, but I've been told to, to divorce these two things. That you need to understand the scientific method, which is a good thing. I like microwaves. And down here, this is just for, you know, bromances and romances and, and all those romance movies. That's what this is for. You don't have to think about them. That's why the plot line has like two main characters, right? It's always a father and a mother and always somebody in love. And it's, just, it's a very simple trope. But Paul says, no, when these two are united under Christ, it's an emotional plea following a challenge for knowledge. It's not a hundred level class. It's a challenging letter. This is a master class in Christian theology. Just like I'll do to Pastor Mike in basketball, whenever we play, I will dominate him in a master class. <laughs> Don't know why you're laughing at that. Paul shocks the Ephesian church with his high rhetoric of this very fact to unite the head and the heart. Paul writes with passion and flourish. No matter how old and wise you think you are, it hits home. I cannot understand this until I unite my head and heart under the power of the Spirit of God. This community that Paul's preaching to is one of the strongest in this time. The Ephesian church is one of those strategic places where churches could come and unite under this one city. It had a very diverse and very amazing body represented there. But they're also very divided in most aspects of culture, politically, economically, and even religiously, Ephesus was a city full of pagan gods. Sound familiar? Even this strong church needed the message of unity under Jesus Christ that is both head and heart. And it is a message that every local church and the church today needs to hear. We must understand intellectually what Jesus is, but also emotionally grasp the power of him. And this is where tattoos come in. Sometimes our tattoos are emotional, but they're not very intellectual. Vet ran. Vet ran. Emotionally charged, with the help of our friend alcohol, emotionally charged decision, that was a huge mistake intellectually. Those tattoos that say no regrets, and they spell it R-E-G-E-R-T-S, regrets. So many of my friends have tattoos, however, that I have no idea what they actually potentially even conceptually might mean because they're so up here in the head and they never go into the heart of the matter. And I still love all those people and all those tattoos and there's nobody in here who has those. But they're so committed to the 
cognitive ability that later on they may regret because of the changing attitudes and seasons of life that things may fly away. And it's interesting because a lot of churches focus their ministry this way. This way. Churches will focus up here where it'll be so academic and so thought through and every single situation has a solution. And they have a book of church order that's about this thick that every scenario has a solution. We must find it on page 3,722. But then we have churches over here who are all here and it's all an emotional experience for three and a half hours. <laughs> Sometimes four and five. And I've been to these churches and it's, just, it's emotional and it's amazing. But friends, living only on emotion eventually just runs dry. No, here is where we need to have those united in our church life and also when we pick out our tattoos. With that, I want to share my tattoo. I was told not to show my leg on screen, but here it is, okay? What's fascinating is this is a picture of Nebraska. It's not Oklahoma, Matt. It's not Kansas, it's not Iowa, it's not Colorado or Wyoming or Montana. It is Nebraska, okay? Friends, this is a geography lesson for you all. This is my home state where I spent a little under 40 years of my life, where I was born, raised, graduated high school, did the whole thing. It's awesome. And I love this idea of putting this on my body as a sign of the times, but this does not represent Nebraska. In fact, most people come up to me and they say, what country in Africa is that? And I'm like, ugh. I get so many weird looks and stares at the back of my left leg, which is fine. I felt like this was both an emotional and an intellectual experience. And this is where the analogy starts to break down because it just represents a portion of my life. I can't share what this state meant to me in my first part of life, the first chapter, for, so, so to speak. I can't share that through a picture on my calf. Take the calf off the screen. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> but I can't, I, can't make this, I can't make this show you what Nebraska meant to me. I can tell you story after story after story of there. But what it's trying to do is to share what you're willing to put on your body forever. I joked with somebody earlier today. I said, eventually, it's not just going to be a picture of the state. It's also going to be the topography of Nebraska because those wrinkles are going to come in. Hopefully the Platte River will be, you know, that indent there. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry. Here, here's, here's what I want you to get to the point of it, and this is where the analogy does break down, but it's true by taking this idea of tattoos. It's what Paul is realistically asking is of this. Both our minds and our hearts rationally and emotionally broken under Christ and completely remade. To remove ourselves from our own head and heart, friends and to tattoo Christ on our hearts and our emotions. The challenge of accepting Jesus is to answer all the weird looks and stares. Just like I get, you're gonna get them too. Why in the world would you follow an unknown Jewish carpenter from the first century? Why, do you, why in the world would you follow a person who's had such a horrible history in our country? Why would you follow this person and you don't do anything that he says. Because I'm willing to make that a permanent part of who I am. To share about how he has impacted, inspired, and transformed my life. Because I love him. 
And so many of Jesus' parables revolve around this type of commitment and the absurdity of it. While Paul uses this high theology and dialogue, Jesus uses these simple parables about farming, building, treasure holding, and relationship that all focus upon this. That it makes zero sense that an unknown person would be God incarnate, would die, and be resurrected. And this truth makes no sense in my logical brain. It makes me look at my entire life differently that this unknown person died and was resurrected for me. What's holding you back cognitively from this type of acceptance of who Jesus is? Relationships? Your own pride? Your own sense? And then you understand life better and how it works than the one who actually created it? And equally, my emotions must be wrapped, shook, that the true power of God who throws existence from one sphere to another would actually care for little old me. As we realize how big and magnificent all life is and how tiny and intricate it is at the same time, can you emotionally handle that God might actually love you? Would you be willing to get Christ tattooed on your very soul with this realization? What do you need to do to humble your brain and expand your heart? Or vice versa. Paul is pleading with the Ephesians for community to flourish must both have the head and the heart united in his goal. What I'm saying this morning is that it also works for the individual. What do you need to reorient all that you are towards the person, the knowledge, the power, and the emotion of Jesus Christ? If you could get a time machine, go back to Scott at 13 years old, you'd see a young man who was all up here and all I cared about was anything that made sense and went through this filter. There's nothing here. Especially when I came to church, it was all about, well, how does this all work? And where does all the history work in? And how did Jesus become Jesus? And where did Paul come in? It was all up here. And as I worked through my own diagnosis and my own lifelong disease of type 1 diabetes, I realized that this didn't work for my situation in life. And I had to reorient this idea of saying that I could control it all and I could keep the blood sugar all in control and I could do everything I wanted to do. And it was all about me, 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 me. And over several years, tough years, as a middle schooler and even into high school, and friends, to be honest, even today, I have wrestled intellectually with God. And God has slowly done the body blows on my heart. That Holy Spirit has poured moments of renewal and freshness and spiritual knowledge that says, even though I will have complications from this dreaded disease, even though I'm up and down and up and down every single day, even though my body is not forever, my inheritance is with Jesus Christ. And that inheritance is one that I want to remind you of today. That you need to cognitively realize who Jesus is and emotionally accept what he's done for you. He's not given us tools to tattoo this on our bodies. No, he's given us tools to tattoo this in our very bodies. In a moment, we're going to open the table up for communion. 
And communion is not just some sort of symbol that somehow is a nice afterthought to what Jesus did and we just do it for a, a road experience. No, this is me saying, I'm willing to take Jesus inside of me. That it's not literally his body and blood, but somewhere here, the spirit can transform this from just symbols into something that is very real Jesus inside of me. We don't know how this happens. This is one of those moments where there's a spiritual mystery in taking the elements of bread and cup. But as Jesus commands, he reminds us that when we do this, we let him inside of us to be really him inside of us. And that's to be something that should shake both our intellects and our hearts, that Jesus wants to be inside of you through the power of the Holy Spirit, representing God, our creator and father. Here at Element 3, we use gluten-free bread. You don't have to be an owner or a member of this church or of any church, but the table is welcome for all that will proclaim that they want Jesus to live inside of them. In a moment, we'll pray for the elements, and then the table will be opened. Please either make your way up to one of these three tables up front, or we also have the elements at the back altar by the cross. We invite you to go back there to receive. Our worship team will be blessing us with an amazing song as we do that. And we'd ask you to hold the elements until the song is over and we'll take them all together once we're completed. With that, let's pray over our meal this morning. Father, thank you for what you've done by bringing Jesus Christ into this world. An unknown carpenter from a small town in Judah. And we ask God that his life story of being God incarnate of living a life where he went through all of our emotions and experiences where he went through hunger betrayal denial even the loss of a dear friend would not be lost on us here this morning that this Jesus Christ the one who did an entire human life knew that his purpose was much bigger than just 30 or 40 years. Lord, he knew that he was the ultimate sacrificial lamb for all of our sin. It is the work that he did on that last week, coming in on a donkey, triumphant into Jerusalem, walking through the streets and seeing the enemies, the so-called teachers of the law, glare at him accuse him and ultimately crucify him but dead had no power for you God could throw from one existence to another and you did that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ it's in that that we share this meal together that this elements though they are just temporary they reside eternally in our very bodies and in our very souls Lord, I pray your blessing over these, over the hands which should receive them, that you remind us of the community you are building us into. It's in your name we pray a blessing. Amen. Come, the table is open.